Welcome, everyone. Um, tonight, uh, the subject of my talk is going to be mindfulness of activity. This is the fourth in a four-part series on mindfulness. And I was curious to know how many of you were at least at, at least one of the previous three talks? Oh, okay. And how many of you were at all three of the other ones? Okay, so I think what I'll do is start by um, maybe just reviewing the other uh, three talks about mindfulness. The first one was on mindfulness of breathing. And the breath is really one of the central meditation objects for this practice, for, for mindfulness. Uh, the breath can be um, used both to, to develop um, concentration of the mind, to really um, get the mind focused and one-pointed. And it can also be used for strengthening uh, the muscle of mindfulness, of just paying attention to the sensation of the breath as it enters and leaves the body. And as the mind quiets down and the, the awareness becomes more refined, the subtler and subtler experiences of the breath can be realized. So I imagine all of you or most all of you have probably had some uh, instruction in breath meditation. Um, so I won't go any further into that. If, if you would like to know more about um, meditation instruction, there's a sheet that, that we have that you can, you can get to um, read more about it and see what other resources are available to, to teach about that. And then the second talk was um, mindfulness of feeling or really the feeling tone of one experience and so not emotions, but uh, every experience that we have has a tone to it of either being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, sometimes called neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And it can be very helpful to develop a practice of noting that that um, feeling tone or Vedana of your experience because the, th the three forces in the mind that keep us from fully waking up um, are greed, delusion, and hatred. So experiences that arise that are pleasant, there's a natural tendency to want to grab onto. And I want more of that experience. So um, noticing that, that the pleasantness has arisen can be helpful to wake us up from wanting to, to grasp or to, to um, cling to that experience. And likewise, when unpleasant, when an experience arises that's unpleasant, the tendency is to want to push it away, to um, have aversion or to hate what's happening. Um, now, there are experiences that it's probably wholesome to um, 
to do something about. But you can still do that without pushing it away, without a mental aversion. And then the third quality, the third um, uh, type of experience is that for which the experience is neutral. It's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And those we tend to just ignore. So ignorance and delusion can come from not noticing experiences that are arising just because they're, they're neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So the noting of the feeling tone of your experience in mindfulness um, is also a very um, powerful uh, technique. The third talk was on mindfulness of physical sensations. And again, I'm, I don't know exactly what the speakers said about these, so I'm kind of making up what, what I would imagine I would say <laughs> if I had given those talks. <laughs> so this, this may not sound familiar, but uh, with physical sensation, there's the, the mindfulness of those physical sensations is often a process of, of trying to deconstruct them to, to, to rather than labeling an experience just as pain, for example, looking more carefully at the qualities of um, is it hot or is it cold? Is it stinging or piercing or throbbing or dull? Um, is it tight or relaxed? Um, is it, does it, over time, does it tend to get stronger or weaker or stay the same? Is there, does it stay in the same place in the body or does it have a tendency to move and change with time? So those are all um, types of noting, types of mindfulness that you can bring to your physical sensations. And so all three of these, the, the mindfulness of of breathing, mindfulness of feeling tone, and mindfulness of physical sensation can be brought into the larger realm of mindfulness of activity. And mostly I'll be talking about mindfulness of kind of day-to-day -day activity. Um, in addition to those three, uh, two other categories that, that I thought of were mindfulness of um, mental activity the thoughts that would arise in your daily activity and also uh, mindfulness of emotions, what, what um, emotional states arise in the course of your, your day. Okay. So I wanted to start by reading from one of the suit. Uh, suttas. Uh, it's called the Anapana, uh, no, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya, and it talks about um, basically the, the foundations of mindfulness. And I printed it off the web. There's a website called Access to Insight that you can go to and. and get access to uh, certainly the, m the more often cited suttas are all available online now. So, uh, and th this particular one is also available in the library. 
So one of the things that the Buddha started with um, in, in teaching about mindfulness were just the postures that we take throughout. Well, he spoke in particular the postures that we would use in meditation, which are lying, sitting, standing, and walking. Um, but there are also posture, the, the main postures that we take on throughout the day. Actually, it pro- probably covers, in, unless you're skydiving or something, it probably covers all of the postures that you would experience throughout your day. So his, as he was teaching to his monks, he said, and further, O bhikkhus, when one is going, a bhikkhu understands, I am going. And when he is standing, he understands, I am standing. And when he is sitting, he understands, I am sitting. And when he is lying down, he understands, I am lying down. Or just as his body is disposed, so he understands it. So we can start there with our mindfulness of activity, um, noticing what posture we're in. Um, on retreats, and certainly on the, the day-long retreats that we have here, and then longer retreats that you might go to elsewhere, um, probably half the time you spend meditating is in walking meditation. And I've taken the uh, instructions that I've learned over the years in walking meditation on retreat and applied those to my day-to-day life. So there's many times, well, let's see, let me back up a little bit. I think when I first started practice, I thought mindfulness was something that I would do for 45 minutes a day sitting on a cushion. And while that's very helpful and very useful, there's actually over 23 extra hours in the day when you can also practice mindfulness. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight is how do you um, continue to develop that, that capacity to be mindful um, in your activities other than just informal meditation. So I spend a fair amount of time in my day walking. My office is at the opposite end of the building from the water cooler and the restroom. So several times a day I have the opportunity to get up from my desk and then walk down to the other end of the building. And almost all the time that I do that, I'm, I'm by myself, so I'm not engaged in a conversation with someone else. And it's really a time that I take as kind of a, as an opportunity to practice mindfulness. There's nothing I really have to think about in going to get a, a bottle of water or going to the bathroom. So in that time, I bring aware, I, there's, a, there's a number of different things. Um, I can bring awareness of the sensation in my feet, the, the pressure uh, as each foot hits the ground. Um, if it's a fairly long walk, 
my, I notice the heat that tends to build up in my feet, the, the sense of warmth. Um, I can be mindful of that. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I broke my leg. And so as I walk, one ankle has a certain amount of tightness and a heightened sensation in it as I walk. So uh, bringing awareness to the uh, sensations in my ankles and in my uh, legs. Um, let's see, the sensation of the, the cloth of my pants on my legs. I can Sometimes that's, that's a predominant sensation that I can pay attention to. Um, just the movement of my hands as I walk, I can sometimes feel the, the air temperature on the backs of my hands as I walk. And then finally, of course, there's always the breath that I might just pay, if, particularly if I'm walking uphill or kind of strenuously bringing uh, mindfulness of the breath. So those are all different um, aspects of walking that are available to uh, develop mindfulness uh, around. And you probably have others that you could think of or experience. Um, but in my day, I find that if I just have that, that, if I just remember to be mindful when I walk to the water cooler or when I walk to the cafeteria or I walk to a seminar, those are all... Um, you know, kind of like extra time that I get to practice. That I, if I didn't, if I wasn't doing that, I would be, I don't know, engaged in worrying about what's going to happen to my job in the next year, you know, layoffs or something, you know, something like that. Or, um, see, the thing that I actually do the most at work is sit. You know, uh, although sometimes I, I go out in the field and, and, and uh, work around airplanes, a lot of the time I'm sitting at a desk or sitting at a computer. And so even there, I find that over time I've developed, there, there's kind of like a little alarm that goes off to pay attention to the posture pay attention to how I'm sitting. Um, I find that I have a tendency to kind of slump forward and um, yeah, that if I'm not paying attention then I tend to slump forward in my chair. And so when I notice, when I bring a, attention to the fact that I'm sitting, then I can make a choice if I want to just stay sitting in that posture or, or perhaps change postures a little bit, move a little bit. Um, notice the sensation of my feet on the ground. And it just, it tends to bring me back to my body. You know, it's, it's, it's a... Um, and just helps develop a, a, a greater continuity throughout the day of, of, of being mindful of what's happening in the moment. Um, a couple of things that I did 
after I started practicing mindfulness of sitting was I noticed that the arms on my chair that I had a tendency to always want to lean on one of them. And so I decided to, to just get some tools and take the arms off my chair so that I, I, can't, I can't lean the way I used to lean. And it's made a difference in my energy, you know, in being able to let the energy flow through the body. Um, but before that, I was, you know, wasn't really even aware that I was doing that. Let's see. The other, an, another posture that that I uh, take on at work is standing, and that often occurs standing in the hallways, talking to one of my coworkers, or standing in their office, and. Again, the things that I, that I bring mindfulness to are the posture. Is my weight sort of equally held on both feet or do I tend to, to lean to one side? Uh, am I leaning against the wall or against somebody's desk or file cabinet? Um, you know, how does that feel? And so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be continuous. Uh, usually in those situations, I'm also in, engaged in listening or speaking, but just momentarily bringing some mindfulness to the body through noticing the posture can both help strengthen mindfulness as part of the practice and also um, can be valuable in staying in touch with, with your uh, bodily experience. Now, lying down, I don't want to admit that I ever do that at work, <laughs> but I used to. I used to have a foam pad I kept in my lab, but that's gone now. So that is actually, nowadays, is more for lying on the couch at night watching television <laughs> or lying in bed. And the things that I pay attention to are, again, my posture and my lying on my back or lying on my side or face down? Um, am I curled up? And also one of the things that I've, I'm beginning to notice is that sometimes when I wake up, one of the first things that I pay attention to is how does my body feel? Have I been asleep on an arm or a leg? I mean, is there any numbness in my body? Is there any... Um, sensation that came from the way that I was lying in bed. And then the other, well, actually, I guess there's, a, there's several other things in terms of lying meditation. Um, I find it's a very, it's also a very good posture for paying attention to the breath. So when I wake up in the morning or before I go to sleep at night or if I wake up in the middle of the night, paying attention to the sensation of the breath um, can often um, create a sense of relaxation. Um, I find that particularly true. Most recently, our, uh, I work for NASA, and there's been talks of big layoffs, so there's been a lot of anxiety. And when I wake up, if I wake up in the middle of the night, and 
and anxiety is present, um, ignoring it doesn't help very much. I find that trying to ignore it and fall back to sleep usually doesn't result in me falling back to sleep. But lying in bed and paying attention to the emotion um, and what it feels like and really, really going deeply into it and breathing into it um, often helps it pass through. So those are um, those are kind of the simple ways that I work with the four postures in my, my daily life. And I'll talk about them a little bit more later. So there's other activities that the Buddha talked about in terms of bringing mindfulness or what he called um, clear comprehension. And um, this is also from the Satipatthana Sutta called the, the section called the four kinds of clear comprehension. So he spoke to his monks or bhikkhus. And further, O bhikkhus, a bhikkhu in going forwards and in going backwards is a, per- is a person practicing clear comprehension. In looking straight on and in looking away from the front is a person practicing clear comprehension. In bending and in stretching is a person practicing clear comprehension. In wearing the shoulder cloak, the other two robes and the bowl, is a person practicing clear comprehension. In regard to what is eaten, drunk, chewed, and savored, is a person practicing clear comprehension. In defecating and in urinating, is a person practicing clear comprehension. In walking, in standing, in sitting, in sleeping, in waking, In speaking and in keeping silence is a person practicing clear comprehension. So that's a um, fairly useful list of different types of activity that we do throughout the day where cultivating mindfulness and clear comprehension can be practiced. Um, as I read this, I was thinking about how that works in my own life, like in going forwards and in going backwards. I was trying to think, well, how often do I go backwards? I was thinking of like uh, Michael Jackson and his moonwalking or something. But, um, but actually what came to me was often uh, if I'm in a supermarket or if I'm at the cafeteria at work, if I don't pay attention to where I'm going, where I'm walking, I'll run into people. Um, you know, my mind often is I'm going along and then suddenly I decide, oh, you know, I think I, I better get another, you know, bag of cookies. And I, you know, make an immediate turn. Um, or likewise, someone else does that in front of me. And so if I'm not paying attention to where I'm going and also where other people are going, it's easy to... Um, get into trouble. So kind of paying attention, just 
the paying attention to where am I going right now? What, you know, kind of, you know, not in any deep philosophical sense, but just, you know, physically, where am I going? What, what's my intention? And um, what do I need to look out for? Those are all things that <clears throat> it's pretty useful to be mindful of. Um, let's see, going on in his list. Um, looking straight on and in looking away from the front. What that brought up for me was paying attention to what I'm looking at. So not only where I'm going, but for example, if I'm sitting in a meeting, am I paying attention to the, to the, the screen in front of the room or the speaker in front of the room, or am I kind of looking around and seeing what kind of shoes other people are wearing or, um, you know, checking out the, the box of donuts on the front table or uh, looking at my watch. Um, you know, just being mindful of where is your visual attention? Where are you placing your visual attention? And that doesn't necessarily have to be connected to any kind of judgments, but just um, uh, being aware that you're sitting with another person at dinner and you haven't looked at him in five minutes, that you've been reading the newspaper or you know, staring off into space. Um, let's see, what, what else did the Buddha say here? <clears throat> um, in bending and in stretching. So, so that, that would cover things like um, any kind of uh, yoga or any kind of athletic activity that you might be involved in or exercise, walking or running. Um, as I've gotten older and I've had some back problems, I've really found that being mindful of how I lift objects is important. So in the in the past, when I was younger, I would just, if I wanted to pick something up, I would just pick it up and not, not be so mindful of, of um, how is the body responding to that. Let's see. Now, wearing the shoulder cloak. Well, I, I'm not a monastic, and I never have been, so I that wasn't. So there I was thinking about just what it's like wearing the clothes that I wear. You know, particularly this time of the year, sometimes I wear a jacket. And if it's not so cold, I won't zip it up. And it tends to kind of shift off my shoulders and get blown around. And so... Um, Uh, I guess that was the closest example I could think of, of to wearing a shoulder cloak. Let's see. Now the next one was um, regarding what is eaten, drunk, chewed, and savored. And that's really a, a, a can be a very interesting area to bring mindfulness. Uh, on retreat, they actually teach you how to eat or eat, how, to, how to do eating meditation. And there's that practice 
can start long before you ever have your first mouthful of food. Um, as soon as there's anticipation of eating, you know, as soon as there's anticipation of a meal, you're, you, know, you might notice that your salivary glands are starting to work and that your mind is starting to go. So those are all things that you can uh, be mindful of. You can note. On my first uh, 10-day retreat, it was at a retreat center called Vajrapani. And it's built where the, the kitchen and the dining room are on the first floor and the meditation hall is on the second floor. And so the last meditation before lunch started about 11.15. And from 11.15 to 12, the smells from the kitchen would just start they just start rising up. And so that whole meditation, you'd just be sitting there and you'd start to be smelling these wonderful smells. And, oh boy, I wonder if that's nut loaf, you know, and I wonder what the salad's going to be like. And, um, and so it was probably my favorite sitting of the whole day was that <laughs> sitting just before lunch, um, just, you know, anticipating what, what was going to be what was going to um, be there when I got down there. And then, of course, the bell would ring and the meditation hall always seemed to empty out the fastest at the end of that sitting. People seemed to really quickly, mindfully get down to the, to the dining room. So then there was the whole practice again of um, waiting in line, um, seeing, well, so hearing, you know, hearing the sounds of the kitchen and the sounds of the other yogis as they were getting their food. Um, and then seeing the food, the sight of it. Um, and uh, one of the other areas, then the next part was actually, it, this was all self-service. So deciding how much of this, how much of this am I going to take? You know, it's like, boy, this looks really good. You know, I better take a second scoop of it, you know. And so noticing whether it's the body or the mind that's most predominant in making that decision of how much of these um, food to put on your plate. Um, and then sitting down and then just mindfully picking up the fork, loading it with food, noticing what happens as you bring it to your mouth, putting it in your mouth, the sensations as it hits the tongue, the sensations of chewing, what the tongue does, um, how quickly you're already getting another forkful of food, even, <laughs> even though the first one isn't even chewed and, and you're not finished with it yet. Um, It turned out that what, what Gil, would, Gil would always describe the meals as the entertainment portion of the, of the retreat. And they really were. You know, I mean, there just was so much going on. Um, all six sense doors, the mind, the, the smell, sound, sight, taste, and um, touch or texture were all being impacted in the process of eating. So... Um, when I was on retreat, I would spend maybe 45 minutes eating lunch. And at work, I find that I can eat my lunch in five minutes and hardly know that I did it. 
So there, there's you know a lot of room to practice mindfulness around eating. And a recommendation there is that you might try taking a meal or two um, by yourself away from other people and taking some time to really pay attention to, to the experience. Um, maybe even going so far as to setting your fork or your spoon down between every single bite. Um, okay, so... That's one that I that I um, I don't practice as much as I as opportunities that I have, but it's it's a it's a real rich area to practice. Let's see now. In, in going through the rest of the list, um, okay. Well, is uh, defecating and urinating. Well, we do tend to have stacks of magazines sitting in the bathroom so that we that our minds immediately go to something else. So that's, you know, um, there's a lot going on. I mean, that's the, the kind of the end process of the whole nutritional cycle. And it's, you know, very visceral experience. So that, you know, you might want to try bringing some mindfulness uh, from time to time in that area. See now, and the rest of the list. Uh, well, walking we talked about, standing, sitting, uh, sleeping and waking, uh, speaking and and keeping silence. So that's speech is um, such an important part of practice that it's it's one of it has its own category in the Eightfold Path, right speech. So. Cultivating mindfulness of speech can provide a lot of fruits. It can keep us from getting ourselves into trouble, you know, saying things that you later wish that you hadn't said, or um, wish that you had said with with more thought or compassion. Let's see. And so so people give entire talks or entire days and, and weekends just on looking at, at speech. But again, th- this is something that I do at work and other places every day when I'm not on retreat. So the things that I use, that I pay attention to and use in mindfulness for starting with listening is paying attention first just to the sound. And one of the ways that I can do that in sort of a somewhat less engaged way is if I'm sitting at a social engagement, like I'm in a soup group that meets every Friday night, and if two people are having a conversation and I'm just sort of a third listener to the conversation where it's not expected that I'm going to join into the conversation, 
I can just pay attention to what's it like to just listen to these voices and just noting listening and noting um, just the raw experience of sound. And quite, quite often what happens Quite often what happens when those sounds, when I am mindful of those sounds, is starting to pay attention to the thoughts that arise from those sounds that are coming in. So somebody says something that you go, wow, that was really funny. I've got to remember to use that in my next Dharma talk. Or, um, boy, that was incredibly stupid. How could they possibly think that way? Um, or... I have no idea what they meant by that. <laughs> you know, just, I mean, all of these thoughts can come just from, from these sounds hitting our ears. Um, and I'm sure you have your own list of uh, experiences with that. And then related to the thoughts are the emotions. Um, seems like speech in particular can really trigger a lot of things in us. Um, you know, excitement, joy, happiness, sadness, irritation. And I'm starting with talking about listening because I think that developing mindfulness of what's going on when we're listening then helps when we actually get our turn to speak. So before we speak, we have some sense of what emotion is emotion or emotions are predominant in our experience at the time. Um, what thoughts are going on? What's our overall mind state? And then In speaking, uh, some suggestions about things to be mindful of. First of all is noticing when the impulse to speak arises. I mean, sometimes I notice that I'm in a situation and I'm speaking before I even was aware that I thought I had something to say. You know, it's just... (laughs) I love to make puns and sometimes people say something and it's just the perfect setup. You know, it's like, boy, I just, you know, it'll be so funny if it just comes out right now. So being aware that an intention to speak has arisen. And then the second thing would be noticing what is our intention behind speaking? Um, In my previous example about um, one-liners, my intention is often to get a laugh. You know, I, I enjoy hearing people laugh. Um, the intention might be to stop somebody from speaking. You know, what they're saying is so irritating or so, you know, is triggering some really unpleasant uh, uh, experience in us. So the intention to speak might be to change the subject or to stop, stop what's going on. Um, it might be to want to contribute that that some that we 
have something that we think would contribute to the well-being of others. Or the intention might be just to fill an awkward silence, if silence can be awkward. And then again, after the intention, then um, being mindful of, of what emotion might be in our body as we're speaking. Um, sometimes I find when, when um, there's a great deal of excitement in my body that, that speaking tends to be self-perpetuating. You know, it's, it just seems to have a, a life of its own. So being aware of the emotion and then also being aware of the thoughts. So that pretty much does it for the Buddha's list. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd kind of go through the list, my daily list of possible mindfulness of activities, uh, experiences that I can have. Um, starting with waking up in the morning, um, being aware of the posture, being aware of the temperature of the room, uh, or the temperature of my body. Am I, am I cold or am I hot or am I just sort of in, somewhere in between? Um, and then noticing the, atten- the intention to get out of bed, which for me sometimes doesn't happen for hours after I wake up. <laughs> Usually at least once a day it happens. Um, the thoughts, the sensations, the mind state. Um, is the mind state, is it kind of, is, is it aversive? Like, oh no, you know, it's Tuesday or, you know, something like that. Or I've got I've to, you know, do my taxes or something like that. Or it's Saturday, I'm going out sailing, you know, it's, you know. So the mind state could be joy or excitement. But, but just kind of checking in with myself, even before I've gotten out of bed, just you know, developing the, mind, you know, the, the intention to be mindful from the moment that I wake up. Uh, usually the sensation of, of getting out of bed, the changing of postures. I, I usually then sit and meditate right after getting out of bed. Um, and then after that is the whole brushing of teeth, flossing, shaving, eliminating, as the Buddha talked about earlier. Um, taking a shower is one of you know is one of my favorite places to be mindful. You know the sensation of the water, the temperature, the feeling on the body, um, the sound, the the um, the feeling of the washcloth. I mean, all, all of these physical sensations primarily um, that are part of part of that experience. 
And sometimes I find that I've gotten, gotten through an entire shower without even recognizing a single physical sensation, that the whole time I was just thinking about what's going to be, what might happen later in the day. Um, then the process of getting dressed, um, eating, we talked about, I talked about earlier, and then um, washing of the dishes. That's, a, that's another place where you to uh, bring mindfulness, particularly of physical sensations. Uh, transporting yourself to work, either driving or riding a bicycle or walking. And then throughout the day, the, the sitting, walking, listening, speaking, uh, mindfulness of thinking, noticing what, your, what um, thought patterns are going through your head, um, uh, eating and exercise, and then getting at home at night and doing everything in reverse. So I hope that gives you some um, ideas about how you might, you might want to expand your practice of cultivating mindfulness into your everyday life. So I'll stop at this point and ask if anybody um, has other uh, experiences that they would like to share about how they practice mindfulness in their lives or any questions or um, comments. Um, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, certainly in meditation, you know, with the eyes closed, you can practice. There, there, it's usually described as there being the foreground and the background of, it, of attention. So one, one object can be in the foreground of attention. Say your breath is in the foreground. And yet hearing is going on, and you have some awareness of that. But but you're, you're intending to keep the awareness on one object. Prioritizing uh, and letting a bunch of other things go. Right. Well, I think going to the example of walking to the water cooler, I need to have a, a little bit of awareness that I don't run into somebody. But the major, but if I if I if I slow down a little bit, and if I keep my intention to really pay attention to what the experience of walking is like, then um, most of the awareness is on the process of walking. And, you know, it, you know pro- probably short of, I'm guessing, short of sitting in meditation and developing extremely strong concentration on one object, you're right that your, your awareness is going to jump around. But this is kind of a, a practice of um, cultivating a mind that doesn't jump around as much you know, that can kind of stay with one experience and just be aware of it as it's... It's a matter of degree of focus rather than absolute. 
that would be that would be my um, my response. But check it out. So I'd like to close with a poem by uh, Thomas Merton, who was a, a Christian contemplative that wrote extensively in the, in the middle part of the 20th century, having to do with activity. It says, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, commit oneself to too many people, to want to help everyone and everything, is to succumb to violence. The frenzy kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. So one of the things to be mindful of, of activity is both the quality and the quantity of it. So thank you for your attention.